Chapter Three of Dark Hollow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nigel Boydell. Dark Hollow by Anna Catherine Green. Chapter Three. Bella the Redoubtable. Catalepsy, a dread word to the ignorant. Imperceptibly the crowd dwindled, the most discreet among them quite content to leave the house, others, with their curiosity inflamed anew, to poke about and peer into corners and curtained recesses while the opportunity remained theirs, and the man of whom they stood in fear sat lapsed in helpless unconsciousness. A few, and these the most thoughtful, devoted all their energies to a serious quest for the woman and child whom they continued to believe to be in hiding somewhere inside the walls she had so audaciously entered. Among these was Miss Weeks, whose importance none felt more than herself, and it was at her insistence and under her advice, for she only of all who remained had ever had a previous acquaintance with the house, that the small party decided to start their search by a hasty inspection of the front hall. As this could not be reached from the room where its owner's motionless figure sat at its grim watch, they were sidling hastily out, with eyes still turned back in awful fascination upon those other eyes which seemed to follow all their movements and yet gave no token of life. When a shout and a scramble in the passages beyond cut short their intention, and held them panting and eager, each to his place. "'They've seen her! They've found her!' ran in quick whispered suggestion from lip to lip, and some were for rushing to see. But Miss Weeks' trim and precise figure blocked the doorway, and she did not move. "'Hark!' she murmured in quick admonishment. "'What is that other sound? Something is happening, something dreadful. What is it?' It does not seem to be near here yet, but it is coming, coming. Frightened in spite of themselves, both by her manner and tone, they drew their gaze from the rigid figure in the chair, and, with bated breaths and rapidly paling cheeks, listened to the distant murmur on the far-off road, plainly to be heard, pulsing through the nearer sounds of rushing feet and chattering voices in the rooms about. What was it? They could not guess, and it was with unbounded relief they pressed forward to greet the shadowy form of a young girl hurrying towards them from the rear, with news in her face. She spoke quickly, and before Miss Weeks could frame her question, "'The woman is gone. Harry Doan saw her sliding out behind us just after we came in. She was hiding in some of the corners here, and slipped out by the kitchen way when we were not looking.' He's gone to see. But interesting as this was, the wonder of the now rapidly increasing hubbub was more so. A mob was at the gates, men, women and children, shouting, panting and making loud calls. Breathlessly, Miss Weeks cut the girl's story short. Breathlessly, she ran to the nearest window and, helped by willing hands, 
succeeded in forcing it up and tearing a hole in the vines, through which they, one and all, could look out in eager excitement. A motley throng of people were crowding in through the double gateway. Someone was in their grasp. Was it the woman? No. It was Bella, Bella the giant, Bella the terror of the town, but no longer a terror now, but a struggling, half-fainting figure, fighting to free itself and get in advance, despite some awful hurt which blanched his coal-black features into an indescribable hue, and made his great limbs falter and his gasping mouth writhe in anguish, while still keeping his own and making his way, by sheer force of will, up the path and the two steps of entrance, his body alternately sinking back or plunging forward, as those in the rear or those in front got the upper hand. It was an awful and terrifying sight to little Miss Weeks, and, screaming loudly, she left her window and ran, scattering her small party before her like sheep, not into the near refuge of the front hall and its quiet parlours, but into the very spot towards which this mob seemed headed, the great library pulsing with its own terror, in the shape of the yet speechless and unconscious man to whom the loudest noise and the most utter silence was yet as one, and the worst struggle of human passion a blank lost in unmeaning chaos. Why this instinctive move? She could not tell. Impulse prevailed, and without a thought she flew into Judge Ostrander's presence, and, gazing wildly about, wormed her way towards a heavily carved screen guarding a distant corner, and cowered down behind it. What awaited her? What awaited the judge? As the little woman shook with terror in her secret hiding place, she felt that she had played him false, that she had no right to save herself by the violation of a privacy she could have held in awe. She was paying for her temerity now, paying for it with every terrible movement that her suspense endured. The gasping, struggling men, the frantic negro, were in the next room now. She could catch the sound of the latter's panting breath, rising above the clamour of strange entreaties and excited cries with which the air was full. Then a quick hoarse shout of, Judge! Judge! rose in the doorway, and she became conscious of the presence of a headlong, rushing force stuck midway into silence as the frozen figure of his master flashed upon the negro's eyes. Then a growl of concentrated emotion uttered almost in each ear, and the screen, which had been her refuge, was violently thrust away from before her, and in its place she held a terrible being standing over her in whose eyes, dilating under this fresh surprise, she beheld her doom, even while recognising that if she must suffer it would be simply as an obstacle to some goal at her back which she must reach, now, before he fell in his blood and died. What was his goal, as she felt herself lifted, nay, almost hurled aside? She turned to see, and found it to be a door before which the devoted Bella had now thrown himself, guarding it with every inch of his powerful but rapidly sinking body, and chattering defiance with his bloodless, quivering lips, a figure terrible in anger, sublime in purpose, 
and piteous in its failing energies. "'Back, all of you!' he cried, and stopped, clutching at the door casing on either side to hold himself erect. "'You cannot come in here. This is the judges!' Not even his iron resolve or once unequalled physique could stand the sapping of the terrible gash which disfigured his forehead. He had been run over by an automobile in a moment of blind abstraction, and his hurt was mortal. But though his tongue refused to finish, his eye still possessed its power to awe and restrain. Though the crowd had followed him almost into the centre of the room, they felt themselves held back by the spirit of this man, who as long as he lived and breathed would hold himself a determined barrier between them and what he had been set to guard. As long as he lived and breathed, alas, that would be a little while now. Already his head, held erect by the passion of his purpose, was sinking on his breast. Already his glazing eye was losing its power of concentration, when with a final rally of his decaying strength he started erect again and cried out in terrible appeal, I have disobeyed the judge, and, as you see, it has killed him. Do not make me guilty of giving away his secret. Swear that you will leave this door unpassed. Swear that no one but his son shall ever turn this lock, or I will haunt you, I, Bella, man by man, till you sink in terror to your graves. Swear, swear. The last adjuration ended in a moan. His head fell forward again, and in that intense moment of complete silence they could hear the splash of his life-blood as it dropped from his forehead onto the polished boards beneath. Then he threw up his arms and fell in a heap to the floor. They had not been driven to answer. Wherever that great soul had gone, his ears were no longer open to mortal promise nor would any oath from the lip of man avail to smooth his way into the shadowy unknown. "'Dead!' broke from little Miss Weeks, as she flung herself down in reckless abandonment at his side. She had never known an agitation beyond some fluttering woman's hope she had stifled as soon as born, and now she knelt in blood. "'Dead!' she again repeated, and there was no one this time to cry. You need not be frightened. In a few minutes he will be himself again. The master might reawaken to life, but never more the man. A solemn hush, then a mighty sigh of accumulated emotion, swept from lip to lip, and the crowd of later invaders, already abashed if not terrified by the unexpected spectacle of suspended animation which confronted them from the judge's chair, shrank tumultuously back as little Miss Weeks advanced upon them, holding out her meagre arms in late defiance of the secret to save which she had just seen a man die. Let us do as he wished, she prayed. I feel myself much to blame. What right had we to come in here? The fellow was hurt. We were just bringing him home, spoke up a voice, rough with the surprise of unaccustomed feeling. If he had let us carry him, he might have been alive this minute. But he would run and struggle to keep us back. He says he killed his master. 
If so, his death is retribution. Don't you say so, fellows? The judge was a good man. Hush, hush, the judge is all right, admonished one of the party. He'll be waking up soon, and then, as every eye flew in fresh wonder towards the chair and its impassive occupant, the low whisper was heard. No one ever could tell from whose lips it fell. If we are ever to know this wonderful secret, now is the time before he wakes and turns us out of the house. No one in authority was present, no one representing the law, not even a doctor. Only haphazard persons from the street and a few neighbours who had not been on social terms with the judge for years and never expected to be so again. His secret, always a source of wonder to every inhabitant of Shelby, but lifted now into a matter of vital importance by the events of the day and the tragic death of the negro. Were they to miss its solution when only a door lay between it and them, a door which they might not even have to unlock? If the judge should rouse, if from a source of superstitious terror he became an active one, how pat their excuses might be. They were but seeking a proper place, a couch, a bed on which to lay the dead man. They had been witness to his hurt, they had been witness to his death, and were they to leave him lying in his blood, to shock the eyes of his master when he came out of his long swoon? No tongue spoke these words, but the cunning visible in many an eye, and the slight start made by more than one eager foot in the direction of the forbidden door, gave Miss Weeks sufficient warning of what she might expect in another moment. Making the most of her diminutive figure, such a startling contrast to the one which had just dominated there, she was about to utter an impassioned appeal to their honour, when the current of her and her thoughts, as well as the direction of her looks, was changed by a sudden sense, common to all, of some strange influence at work in the room, and turning, they beheld the judge upon his feet, his mind awakened, but his eyes still fixed, an awesome figure. Some thought more awesome than before, for the terror which still held him, removed from all about, was no longer passive but active, and had to do with what no man there could understand or alleviate. Death was present with them. He saw it not. Strangers were making havoc with his solitude. He was as oblivious of their presence as he had been unconscious of it before. His faculties and all his attentions were absorbed by the thought which had filled his brain when the cogs of that supple mechanism had slipped and his faculties paused inert. This was shown by his first question. Where is the woman? It was a cry of fear, not of mastery. End of chapter 3